it's not quite chilly enough to treat people like human beings. This week, the gondola returned to the front of everyone's mind, sucking up all the air in the room, as it always does. We'll address Troy's pretty blatant discontent there. Plus, we'll talk about the Edmonton Police Service's handling of the cold weather protocol and the muzzling of school boards. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 117, where we, the Texas of the North, are warming up quite nicely, and Texas, the Alberta of the South, is very, very much not. Sorry, Texas. We didn't mean to send the cold down there, and we certainly didn't mean to send Ted Cruz down there either. But this one's on us. Try to get through it. On to the rapid fire. Jane Goodall has reversed her position, now saying that Lucy should stay in Edmonton because a move would be too risky for the aging elephant. A position she came to after reviewing the international team of veterinary experts that assessed Lucy. This unfortunately puts her at odds with Bob Barker and, according to international animal law, means the two must now duel to resolve the conflict. While many favor the 86-year-old Goodall because of her experience with strong primates in the wild, the fight is not a slam dunk as the 97-year-old former game show host is just celebrating the 25th anniversary of Happy Gilmore's release and he's got his golf clubs ready. Tune in this Sunday for the showdown of the century. Council's Community and Public Services Committee unanimously supported a bylaw that would add a fine of $250 for feeding wildlife in public, as well as for intentionally feeding coyotes on private property. The bylaw attempts to reduce the number of coyote interactions as the animals may become habituated to human feeding and stick around approaching humans who do not want the interaction. Said Community and Public Services Committee Chair Aaron Paquette, Quote, in 2004, this very city hall fed Mike Nickel a charcuterie platter, and now look at where we are. When Edmontonians feed animals that only operate on their base instincts, the consequences are dire. The pastor of Grace Life Church in Parkland County is being held in custody after refusing to agree to bail conditions. His lawyer said in a statement that, quote, they are not going to cease worshiping God as they believe they have been commanded to do simply because the government says so, end quote. We reached out to the premier's office over the phone and were put in touch with a perplexed Jason Kenny, asking if perhaps we misreported the story, saying, quote, these are rural Albertans. I know who they worship and I did command the church to close, so... Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by Career Essentials, a new podcast from techlifetoday.ca and Nate. Career Essentials offers real-world advice and insight into different careers and career paths. It features the stories and experiences of Nate alumni with lessons for everyone. Discover perspectives, tools, and tips essential to career growth and success no matter what stage you're at in your career journey. A recent episode you might find interesting features Edmonton chef Stephen Brochu of Milk Crate, who explains why mental health in the restaurant industry often gets ignored and shares what he's doing to change that. You can find Career Essentials on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find it at techlifetoday.ca forward slash podcast. We said previously that we didn't want this podcast to become what did Troy tweet this week? And I swear someone just needs to take away the keys to my Twitter account. (laughs) Yeah, you were tweeting about the gondola this week, which we've covered in the past quite extensively. Episode 99, the Gone Bananas a Plan. Uh, We talked about the gondola. It was back at committee this week to seek approval for an agreement framework. 
not just a framework, not just an agreement, but agreement framework to allow the project to move ahead. Prairie Sky Gondola reiterated uh, at this opportunity that there's no public money going into this. They are just looking for uh, support from the city to move this forward, and they needed that okay from council uh, to do so. And committee ultimately decided that they weren't ready to make a decision, and so it'll go to the full council meeting next week. But because this was in the news, people had a lot of questions about it, and you answered them. There's definitely an office space-esque, really funny bureaucratic comedy to be made about this. This isn't a plan for a gondola. This is a plan to make a plan to make a gondola getting kicked <laughs> around for years and argued about whether the plan to make a plan is planny enough. It's very absurd, but the absurdity matches the actual idea itself to build a gondola. So yes, I opened up twitter.com and started ranting about the gondola and I got a little bit of flack back from gondola boosters, which there are some, and there are perfectly legitimate reasons to be a gondola booster. Personally, I'd be really excited to have a gondola for tourism in Edmonton. I think that's cool. London's got that like Ferris wheel that you see in like episodes of Mm -hmm. BBC's Sherlock. And I'm like, dang, I'd want to go there and ride that Ferris wheel in the city. That's cool. A gondola in the River Valley could certainly be cool. But I don't think that's what's being pitched here. As far as a Troy Pavlik Twitter thread goes, I thought it was fairly balanced, <laughs> if I'm being perfectly honest. I mean, you said if you somebody wants to do something innovative with their own money, we should let them. If someone's lying, we shouldn't believe them. And I stand by both of those points. Prairie Sky wants to do something innovative with their money, and we should let them do that. However, the second caveat, if someone is lying, we shouldn't believe them. So we should do some due diligence here. So what are they lying about exactly? Well, so one thing they're lying about is the idea that the gondola will integrate with the public transit system. That's that's okay. a word they've used before, integrate with the public transit system. There is no scenario in which the gondola integrates with the public transit system. I'm comfortable saying that. Whether they continue with their plan, which is to say, hey, we're going to allow ETS transfers for an additional fee onto the gondola. If you pay $350 for a bus and then get on a gondola for an additional surcharge of $10, that's not integration with the transit system. That's rich tourists paying to ride a gondola. Full stop. Right. I love I love how you tweeted, your alternative is to not get off the bus and also get across the river anyway. <laughs> Just stay on the bus. Our buses <laughs> drive across the river and they drive across faster than the gondola would run. The gondola is a cool gimmick, but it's a gimmick that's cool. Full stop. I think it's pretty insidious that we keep talking about it as a public transit tool because it's just not. I want to take a brief aside to talk about Councillor Cartmel here because he had some comments about the gondola this week. Well, he wrote a blog post titled uh, A River Valley Gondola, Tourist Attraction or Blight on the Landscape. And the gist of his post is that he's trying to put himself out there is a thoughtful uh, or considered position. He's trying to gather input. He's saying, on the one hand, you know, there's people that I respect, like business leaders that tell me this is a great project and that it will initiate development in Rossdale and that we'll see all of these great things that we want to see. And then on the other hand, you know, he's talking about how uh, this costs money. It'll cost money to bring the power plant and all of the things up to speed. Um, So he says there's some tension here and he says, you know, take a risk and do something transformational is the one hand and then don't spend a lot of money on a novelty item that has little long term value on the other hand. Tim Cartmel is the same counselor who said we should build a gondola down White Ave as a legitimate public transit solution. What is this guy on about? 
where does he get his takes from and why does he change them on a whim, seemingly at random, as if no one can use the internet and look up his previous takes? No, I think that's true. It was almost exactly two years ago in March of 2018. He was talking about uh, the winning idea from the Edmonton Project being this river, uh, river Valley gondola. And then he talked about how it could start at Bonnie Dune and go down toward Health Sciences Jubilee Station. And he even estimated the cost of what this might be and said that a center uh, LRT is still a number of years away and that a gondola could be a way to do that. I mean, the one consistent thing about him is he doesn't lately seem to be all that keen on LRT. I mean, he's pitched a gondola in place of LRT and he was, of course, the lead proponent of bus rapid transit, even though council had already committed to LRT. He has advocated for Tooelega Freeway. He's advocated for gondolas in place of LRT. He's advocated for bus rapid transit. The common thread with all his things is here's a different solution. Let's focus on bike shedding, um, which it occurs to me, bike shedding is a software term, isn't it? I'm not sure, actually, if I know that term. Well, bike shedding, <laughs> it's a term that is definitely used in software development and maybe used in other concepts. Basically, the idea is you're building a big project and everyone argues about the color of the shed that houses the bikes outside so mm. you can have these grandiose ideas you can solve great big problems but we will find that minutia that thing that doesn't matter and they will argue about that specific detail sort of like how in a budget of two billion we'll spend weeks arguing about an e-bike rebate that costs us under a hundred thousand dollars you know right and bike shedding is the surefire way to kill a project if you can start enough discontent about something that doesn't matter, you can probably tank the whole project and send it all back to consultation. Back to the gondola itself. If we've addressed that, like, there's very little public transit value to this gondola, which if we're talking about how catastrophic it is to raise ETS fares from 325 to 350, I don't think adding $10 is an acceptable fare increase. So it doesn't have public transit value, but does it have tourism value. I learned in your Twitter thread that it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to accept that it is a tourist draw. People go to Banff and ride the gondola. But also, Banff is a drive away from Edmonton. If you're staying in Edmonton, you can drive and do a day trip down to Banff, and they've got a better gondola than ours would be. The numbers, and we talked about this on episode 99, seem astronomically high. The numbers that Prairie Sky is predicting would have this gondola in Edmonton outperforming gondolas in Seattle, big, successful gondolas, mm -hmm. by a factor of two to three times. It's an absurdly high number. And we even talked about the public transit number, how they were talking about getting an absurdly high number of public transit riders on the gondola to the point where it was competitive with our LRT system. And I just... It baffles my mind the idea that someone could look at that report and say, yeah, that seems fine. And that's where the, if someone is lying, we shouldn't believe them part comes in. Because the most rosy report based on completely false misleading or lies, it doesn't have any value at all. You can't trust that report if the numbers are bunk. Yeah, and it's not even, you know, like you could look at the destinations but that the gondola would travel and think, oh, well, maybe if we could shift some people, that would happen. Like you pointed out in your Twitter thread, it doesn't go to West Edmonton Mall. Like where do tourists to Edmonton visit? Yeah, downtown is a central place when it's not a pandemic. And yes, there are some 
definite attractions in Old Strathcona, but enough to make up two to three times the traffic of other gondolas in North America doesn't seem likely. I think the final point that I'll mention is the the air in the room comment, because this gondola is sucking up air. It's sucking up discussion. And you have people like Don Iveson saying this could solve an egress issue for Rossdale, treating it like a legitimate transportation solution, which I don't think it is. And I think if I were to audit Prairie Sky's books and their minds, I think that this is a land grab play. I think that Rossdale has tens of billions of dollars of land value. And Prairie Sky wants to be the cat's group of Rossdale. They want to activate mm-hmm. this and they want to get a cut of all of it. And if they lose $150 million on a gondola... Price of admission. I think the final thing we'll say on this, because we have to, is this isn't just a random piece of land. This is sacred indigenous burial grounds. And we talked with Jeffrey of Prairie Sky that, you know, the Grand Chief of Treaty 6 was on board with Prairie Sky Gondola. They do seem to have significant indigenous support, not unanimous, but significant. Yeah. And to put it in that perspective, you know, you're never going to have indigenous support because in the same way that, you know, I have a provincial government that I don't agree with, but they are the Albertan provincial government. But I think Aaron Paquette's tweet when I was talking about this really summed it up in a great nutshell. And he said, quote, here's the defining trait of indigenous consultation when it comes to non-indigenous organizations. Respecting no is never an option. And he's right, because we have this absurd situation where Prairie Sky hasn't even started formal engagement because they're not allowed to yet. They're still looking for approval to start formal engagement. And they've been building on this for what? A couple years now? They've invested a couple hundred thousand dollars into this, a lot of staff time. There's like a huge sunk cost thing. You don't want to throw away all your work. But I think it's perfectly legitimate for a concerned group of citizens to say, no, we don't want this. We don't want it changed. We just don't want this. Okay, so the gondola will be, regardless of your uh, helpful thread, at council next week. And my guess is that this agreement framework will be approved because it's pretty low stakes for council. I mean, it allows them to go go forward and, as you said, get a whole bunch of other land impact assessments and other plans and plans and documents. I think pretty critically, this doesn't commit the city to anything and it makes it next council's problem. Yeah. And they don't have to deal it with the upcoming election. True. One thing that they do have to deal with now is the weather. While we are out of the woods in terms of cold weather, the weather is now warming up and we're a balmy summer city again over the zero degrees. And last week it was very, very cold in Edmonton and we activated our cold weather protocol at the start of this cold snap, which involves many things, but you know, buses circulating to shelters, additional shelter spaces opening up and supposed to be not kicking homeless people out of warming locations like transit stations, like LRT stations, out into the cold without providing them with adequate supports. That memo didn't hit the EPS. No, the city has taken pains this year to explain that while transit centers have been used in the past, they're not properly equipped and it's not their preferred approach. Uh, Homeless individuals are being directed to shelters. They've reiterated a number of times in the media that nobody will be turned away. But, you know, they tried to steer people away from LRT stations. But of course, it was it was cold. 
just very, very cold. You had to get in somewhere. And there were people, of course, that were in the LRT station, in Central uh, Station specifically. And uh, there was caught on video police officers escorting people out without you know, safely doing so without making sure they had a warm place to go or making sure that they could do that uh, in a safe manner. They just basically kicked them out and it was caught on video and, of course, upset many, many people as it should. And did the EPS have a response to this community outcry? Well, they did finally post a response to this and said that they should have done a better job at communicating our role in helping connect citizens to services and partner agencies. It, it really read, I saw this comment a lot of times on Twitter, it really read as if they posted a statement because they got caught on camera. And and it's it, it sort of begs the question, like, if this is the thing that we caught on camera, like, how many other instances are there where they're not treating people with the dignity to, that they deserve that just aren't caught on camera? There's been a lot of discussion about the next steps. And Meredith Ivinson said he's looking for a reevaluation of policy and protocols, you know, to address the situation in the future. And I had a whole smack of deja vu. Haven't we already dealt with this? So I went digging, and of course, I didn't have to dig very hard. It was very recent. In 2019, Edmonton City Council passed a policy to deal with extreme weather conditions. And it's got a set of guiding principles that are pretty unambiguous. It has basically five guiding principles. Safety first, connected. So all efforts will be made to align the city of Edmonton's response with existing efforts. Respectful. All individuals are served with dignity and respect. And the last one, I think, is very indicative. Housing first. All efforts will be made to ensure that those who are experiencing homelessness are connected to supports to find permanent, safe, and affordable housing. It's unambiguous. The point of this policy is you respect people and you get people into safe, warm housing. I don't know how we can look at the situation and say, we need to do another panel. We need to do another review. We need to fire some people. Yeah, there's no way that a advisory committee or a dozen, half a dozen advisory committees or however many we have now on uh, police conduct and how they uh, serve or don't serve Edmontonians is going to make any kind of difference at all. You're right. This is completely unambiguous. Health and safety of individuals is of paramount importance. Treat people with dignity and respect. Like it's really not complicated. Another criticism that was quite frequently made about how the police uh, interacted with uh, those individuals was was just about common sense. Like use a bit of common sense and you would realize there was minus 40 outside. You're not just going to kick somebody out who doesn't have you know, proper clothing or a safe place to go or a safe mode of transportation to get there. It's just mind boggling that they thought that that was okay. I'll address because I've read a lot of Reddit comments on this. And like you said, off the top, the city agrees that transit centers and LRT stations are not the best place for these individuals. They don't have the supports. They don't have all the resourcing that would be best to serve right. these people in the best way possible. I don't disagree that these people, hey, they should be connected with shelter services. But again, the policy is very clear. You do that with the perspective of you make sure housing first. You make sure that the individuals who are experiencing houselessness, who are cold, who can't survive out in the cold, that they are connected and they are safe. And you're responsible for making sure that they're transported safely where they want to go in a way that is dignified for them. I don't think we saw any of that. And I don't think we critically saw any addressing of that really in the EPS response other than, hmm, I guess we should have called Homeward Trust. 
Yeah, or even in the city's response. So the city also put out a rather lengthy statement, actually, for the city of Edmonton. And one of the things they committed to doing as a result of this was to create a joint standard operating procedure with the police. Um, they said they would outline the approach to ensuring the safety of all Edmontonians. In this document, this procedure would, quote, stress the importance of compassion and care in communicating rules and finding solutions. Like, we need a new procedure for that. Like, you know, I, I think it's a fair thing to ask, why didn't we already have something like this in place, especially when the city has a policy, as you've pointed out? And secondly, do we actually need to put this in a procedure for the police to follow it? Like, why can't they have compassion without a procedure? I think it's important to recognize that this week, also, the city of Edmonton was dismantling tents and homeless camps and throwing a bunch of possessions belonging to houseless people in the garbage, as has happened in the past. And, you know, there was outcry against this with people saying, Edmonton police, this is unacceptable. Why are you doing this? And the yeah. EPS had a bit of a tone deaf response, which is basically saying the city park rangers were doing this. EPS was just on scene to ensure the security of the park <laughs> rangers. Right. I was like, we have compassion for them, but not the people that they're destroying all their belongings for. It was a bad look all around, and unfortunately, I don't have optimism that this look is going to be remedied because, again, it seems the solution is let's do what we've done in the past, and that's sure to work if we just redo that. This week, however, we were looking down south to Calgary for some instruction on some changes we could potentially make to improve how we do things, and that's in regards to cycling on the road and vehicle passing distance. That's right. Calgary has already passed a bylaw back in 2019 that defines a safe passing distance between motorists and cyclists. And Community and Public Services Committee this week um, had an opportunity to review a report that said, hey, this is a good idea. We should probably do this here in Edmonton, which that committee unanimously endorsed. And, and so they are going to draft this bylaw. It'll come back to council for uh, approval eventually, uh, of course. But, you know, they basically said this is a good thing. It's something that we should have. It's something that we we lack currently in our in our bylaws. This was a pretty interesting item this week to me, not because of the item itself. I think it's pretty clearly a no brainer. Driving laws in Alberta already require you to pass a safe distance from cyclists. It just doesn't specify what that is. Giving people a number and giving law enforcement a number really helps everyone along. I do think it was interesting, though, because of who was on committee. Uh, this is Community and Public Services Committee, which has among their four members, Mike Nickel and John Zadick. So in my conversations early in the week, there was a very real fear that this recommendation might actually fail because, you know, it mentions the words bicycle. <laughs> exactly. Cycling. Oh, dirty word. It passed unanimously. And I think short of congratulating Mike Nickel and John Zadick, we do need to look at this in a system of policy in which Nickel and Zadick operate. And that is, you know, bike lanes bad, get cyclists out of our hair. Mm -hmm. Cyclists exist. I don't think anyone is able to say that they don't. You know, when Mike Nickel and John Zadick say no bike lanes ever, well, then they need to do the bare minimum. And this, I think, is that. It's the bare minimum. This is them saying, oh, you now have an invisible legal buffer of one meter. Therefore, you are safe on the road. This ignores all ages and ability. This ignores children. You know, an eight-year-old, doesn't matter how far that F-150 is from them, they're going to be scared if that yeah. truck is passing them at 60 kmh. 
I would say watch for this to be used as a defense. When the election campaign comes and critics are saying, you don't support cycling, look for Mike Nickel and John D to point to. We support cycling as a method of transportation, just like we support driving, just like we support transit. We support everyone. All modes of transportation matter. I'm going to close today with a bit of silly season talk, but I think it's the important kind of silly season talk because it's reasoned and it's well put together and it's from a smart person. And it was Edmonton Public School Ward G trustee Bridget Sterling posted an announcement uh, this week saying in the lead that, you know, she was not going to be seeking re-election uh, in 2021 uh, for her seat on the Edmonton Public School Board, and she's going to focus on her PhD instead. But then she went on to perform a call for action and sort of threw some firebombs at some of her colleagues on the school board, some of the provincial government, and some other candidates. And I thought it was really interesting to read. Yeah, she kind of basically threw firebombs at everyone else. She said, one of my greatest concerns is the capture of public school boards by provincial governments through increasing encroachment on local board autonomy and threats of disciplinary action. So she's kind of taking the province to task there. But then, as you said, she also says school boards themselves deserve some of the blame here, saying that they've subverted the role of elected trustees by adopting these sort of formal and informal practices that don't allow trustees to speak freely or express dissenting positions like they're supposed to just agree all of the time. So they've undermined their own ability, uh, she argues. And then she's also talked about in this post that she thinks some people who serve on the school board view it not as a good way to support students and the education system in Alberta, but rather as a political stepping stone, just a, a place to go before they can move on to some other office. I think that middle point that you mentioned is the most interesting to me because people generally aren't aware of what I would call the draconian policy on the Edmonton Public School Board and other school boards in the province, which is basically that the board chair speaks for the public school board. So if there's a board decision, the board chair is the one who speaks to it unless the board chair defers to another trustee to speak for it. Mm -hmm. But trustees aren't allowed to publicly criticize decisions of the board. Imagine if city council was like that. Imagine if Mike Nickel had to support Don Iveson's position. And even if media sends requests to Mike Nickel, he would have to reply, talk to the board chair, Don Iveson. He'll give you my opinion on this. It would be absurd. I would be anti-democratic, right. I would say. And right. I think it's pretty clear that that undermines a school trustee's ability to advocate for their constituents. Yeah, she said uh, it undermines the ability for them to advocate. It also furthers this public perception that school board elections are meaningless and that it's not a real big deal. And she also alleges that there's a lot of backroom dealing that goes on. So because they're not allowed to speak in public, they don't have this vigorous public debate. Instead, you know, things get defeated in backroom pressure and with board processes, which obviously isn't a good way that, to, to make decisions and, uh, and to have the reasons for those decisions be made available to people. For a clear example of that, all you have to do is look back to uh, this summer when we were talking about school resource officers, where rather than truly debate the merits of the school resource officer program, there was instead a board policy and procedure that allowed the discussion to be deferred until late September so that they didn't have to deal with it at the time. At one point, a trustee resigned over it. It, it was a whole kerfuffle, and you can... Go back and listen to this summer's episodes of Speak Municipally for the callback on that. But this isn't a new thing to 
that the board defers to policy and procedure rather than vigorous debate. And couple that with, you know, a provincial government that's bearing down on school boards, ripping away authority that school boards have, and school boards eroding it from the inside, you get, I think it's fair to say, uh, school boards looking pretty ineffectual. And I follow city politics. And when I read this post and we discussed in the pre-show, my comment was, well, yeah, school board is a stepping stone to other politics because it's an easy to win election and it doesn't really matter. And, (laughs) you know, I think trustee Sterling might have some disagreements with that statement. And as I'm saying it aloud, I can recognize that, you know, maybe it's not 100% the case, but I don't think I'm the only one who thought that in their everyday life. No, I think you're right. Like we were talking in the pre-show, I think that there is this perception that is a stepping stone. I I have this niggling feeling that I'm not sure the data supports that. I mean, certainly there are some good examples, Sarah Hoffman, for instance, but I'm not sure that a ton of school board trustees, certainly in Edmonton, go on to become counselors or hold other political office, but maybe there's something to that. So this is a call to action that she makes in here, right, is that she wants everyone to fight back against this. In particular, uh, the point you mentioned about the UCP attack on public education, and she kind of cites the cancellation of the, or the walk back of the cancellation of the 1976 provincial coal policy as evidence that when people do fight back, that things can change. So it's kind of a hopeful message and a a bit of a call to action uh, as well. If you're looking for other calls to action and hopeful messages for the future, why not check out Searching for Izena, a special nine-part podcast series chronicling the wildly incomplete stories of female leadership at Edmonton City Hall over the last century. Searching for Izena, Unwomanly Stories of Female Leadership at Edmonton City Hall, highlights the untold political journeys of the 31 women who have served on Edmonton City Council since Izena Ross became the first female elected to municipal body on December 12, 1921. Co-host Stacey Brotzel shares more about what to expect from this podcast. Take a listen. On December 12, 1921, Edmontonians went to the polls and made history. At the time, Edmonton was just a tiny place on the map, comprised of just 59,000 people and still reeling from the devastating aftermath of a world war and a global pandemic. During that election, a woman the press described as a housewife received 3,341 votes and became our city's very first female councillor. Her name? Izena Ross. Join me, Stacey Brotzel, and my co-host, Kim Ann Wilson, on January 19th when we launch Searching for Izena, Unwomanly Stories of Female Leadership at Edmonton City Hall. You can find Searching for Izena on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I recommend giving it a listen, especially for the upcoming 2021 municipal election. I think when you look closely at who is running and why, the podcast might color your perspectives there. (laughs) Definitely. We're up to 41 registered candidates, officially registered candidates for the election. And we're not going to tell you about any more of those candidates this week because we are out of time. Rest assured, we will inevitably talk about them because, you know, it's sort of like a hostage situation. The election is coming up this October and you can just see it lurking over you and it's got a big club and it's like, talk about me, talk about me, don't make me hit you. (laughs) And eventually we will succumb to the intimidation of this election and we will talk about it. But right now is not that time. No. Now is the time for our trademark sign off. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.